The good word for today is in 1 Thessalonians, and for the next several weeks, the Lord willing, we're going to be looking at this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his dear Christian friends in the city of Thessalonica. There's a great need today for us to get back to what Paul wrote. And uh, it's very likely that 1 Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul wrote to any of the churches that he founded. Now, there are some students who believe that Galatians may have been earlier, but even if that is true, 1 Thessalonians stands out as one of the earliest of Paul's letters. Now, I'd like you to take your Bible and open to 1 Thessalonians, because the first thing we want to do is to understand how this letter is put together. Of course, it's obvious when Paul wrote this that he did not sit down and make chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 2. Paul simply dictated a letter. Paul was in the city of Corinth when he wrote this letter, probably about 52 or 53 A.D. Paul had been saved perhaps 15 or 16 years when he wrote this letter. If you'll read Acts chapter 17, you'll find out how a church was born in the city of Thessalonica. By the way, we still have the city of Thessalonica with us. It's known as Salonica, and it pay, played a, an important role in uh, the recent wars. Now, Paul came to Thessalonica from Philippi. Paul and Silas had been in Philippi on their second missionary journey, and of course all of us know the famous story in Acts chapter 16 of the great jail deliverance. Paul and Silas were singing and praising God at midnight, having been persecuted and beaten, and God sent an earthquake that opened the prison, and God sent the message of the gospel to the heart of the jailer, and he was saved. That great text, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answered and said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now, Paul left Philippi and traveled down to Thessalonica. And he stayed there perhaps a month or five weeks. Acts chapter 17 tells us he preached for three Sabbaths in the synagogue. Whenever Paul went to a city, he always went to the synagogue simply because this is where he would find God-fearing people. He was a Jew, and of course the synagogue would have Jewish people. Paul was also a Roman citizen, and there would be some Gentile proselytes and God-fearing people in the synagogue. And so Paul went to the synagogue and preached the gospel, and lo and behold, people were saved. This is the wonderful thing about the Word of God. The good Word of God produces the good work of God in our hearts. And when Jesus Christ begins that good work, he completes it. And so Paul preached the gospel, but um, not only did some believe, but some opposed. And Acts chapter 17 tells us that Paul and Silas had to leave Thessalonica. They went down to Berea, and then Paul went to Athens, and finally to Corinth. And he had sent Timothy back to find out all that was going on in Thessalonica. You see, Paul did not just simply found churches and get people saved. He took care of them. Now, this is a great need in our churches today. It is not enough to bring spiritual babies into this world. We have to take care of them. And one reason why Paul wrote this letter was to take care of these spiritual babies. Now, I don't know how long you've been saved, but you need the Word of God. Perhaps you've only been born again for a short time, or perhaps you're a veteran in the household of faith. 
But let me say this to you, you need the word of God. And so Paul wrote this letter to these Christians back in Thessalonica for several reasons. First of all, they were new Christians and they needed to be built up in the faith. Now, what is it that builds us up in the faith? It's the word of God. Peter tells us to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So his first reason was to encourage and edify, build up these young Christians. Secondly, the church was going through tribulation. Now I want you to read 1 Thessalonians between now and the next time we're together, and you'll notice how much Paul has to say about suffering. They were going through tribulation, and because they were going through tribulation, they needed encouragement. So it's a book of encouragement. Paul's encouraging them to stand fast in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, some of the church members had died. They had, uh, either because of persecution or for natural reasons, been called home. And Paul had to explain to them the meaning of the death and resurrection of believers. Now, this was a new church. These people hadn't been saved but a few months. And they didn't have the Old Testament scriptures like we have them or the New Testament scriptures. Paul was writing the New Testament. These people needed enlightenment as well as encouragement. And so Paul wrote to encourage them and enlighten them concerning the death of a Christian. One of the greatest passages in the entire New Testament on the death of a Christian is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's a fourth reason why he wrote. Because the church was facing temptation. Now these were new Christians in a Gentile world, a hostile world, an unholy world. These were Christians who were surrounded by heathen practices. Now, if you and I think things are bad today, and they are, you and I should have lived back in Paul's day because the religion of the day was wicked. The very religious practices of the people were so uh, fleshly and so godless, and their daily lives were just tainted with sin. Marriage was not respected. Womanhood was not respected. Honesty was not respected. A man was praised for every shrewd deal he could pull. And here were these brand new Christian babies, young believers, surrounded by a hostile, dishonest, unholy world. And Paul had to encourage them to live a life of purity. There's a fifth reason why Paul wrote, and that's because false doctrine had gotten in and they were not sure about the second coming of Jesus. There was a misunderstanding concerning the return of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul had taught them about the coming of Jesus. In fact, as we're going to see in just a little while, the whole theme of 1 Thessalonians is the return of Jesus Christ. So Paul had taught these young Christians about the return of Christ, but they were confused. And so he wrote this letter to explain to them the... the program and the meaning of the second coming of Jesus Christ. These then are five practical reasons why Paul wrote this book, this letter. They were new Christians who needed help. The church was going through tribulation and needed encouragement. The church was in sorrow because of the deaths of some of their people. The church was facing temptation to immorality and dishonesty. And the church was confused about the Lord's return.
Now, the very fact that Paul wrote this letter is proof of his great love for the saints. Paul was not just simply an evangelist who won people to Christ and then moved on. Paul was a father to his spiritual children. This book tells us of the importance of the local church. There are many, many organizations today that people can be involved in, but none is more important than the local church. I know there are some things that people have to belong to because of their jobs and because of their responsibilities, but may I say to you that nothing is more important than your ministry and your faithfulness in the local church. Paul didn't just simply win people to Christ. Paul didn't set up a mailing list and try to take care of these people at a distance. Paul established local churches. He saw to it that these churches had pastors and deacons. When he came back on his third missionary journey, he revisited this church. In fact, the indication is he revisited it at least twice. And so Paul was concerned about Christians in the local church. This is the background of the letter. Now let's look at the burden of the letter. Why was Paul writing what was the message he wanted to get across? Now, every New Testament letter has a particular burden. Philippians, the joy of the Lord. Galatians, the liberty we have in the Lord. 1 Corinthians, living a spiritual life, not a carnal life. 2 Corinthians, the encouragement of God, the comfort of God. Now, the whole theme in 1 Thessalonians is the return of Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that at the end of every chapter, there's a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is going to point out to us in a later chapter that the second coming of Jesus Christ has two aspects to it. I like to refer to them as the rapture and the return. The rapture is when Jesus Christ comes in the air for his church, and believers will be caught up together to be with Christ in the air. Now, this can happen at any time. If, if I understand my Bible correctly, the rapture of the church can take place at any time. The return is when Jesus comes back to the earth with his church. At the rapture, he comes in the air for his church. At the return, he comes to the earth with his church. And Paul in 1 Thessalonians is talking about the rapture, when Jesus Christ shall come for his church. In, Th in 2 Thessalonians, he's going to talk to us about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth. Now, would you notice with me at the end of every chapter, Paul makes reference to the rapture of the church. If you have a pen handy and you're inclined to mark your Bible, You'll notice that each of these five chapters looks at the return of Jesus, that is, the rapture of the church, from a different standpoint. In chapter 1, verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. In chapter 1, it's the second coming of Christ and salvation. The whole theme of chapter 1 is salvation, how the church was born. Chapter 2, at the end, he says in verse 19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Here we have the second coming, the rapture and service. Chapter 1, salvation. Chapter 2, service. Now here in chapter 2, Paul's going to tell us how the church was nurtured. Chapter 1, how the church was born. 
Chapter 2, how the church was nurtured. Chapter 1, salvation. Chapter 2, service. Now, chapter 3 deals with the, with the rapture of the church and stability. I want you to notice in chapter 3, if you have your Bible in front of you, in verse 2, he said, I sent Timothy to establish you and comfort you. Verse 3, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. Verse 8, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Verse 13, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So the rapture of the church and stability. I know of no doctrine in the Bible that will make a Christian more stable than the second coming of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church. So chapter 1, how the church was born, the rapture of the church and salvation. Chapter 2, how the church was nurtured, the rapture of the church and service. Chapter 3, how the church was established and stabilized, the rapture of the church and stability. So in chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have Paul dealing with personal matters. I suppose the whole theme of chapters 1, 2, and 3 would be we give thanks remembering. I've noticed in my Bible in chapter 1, verse 3, remembering without ceasing. Over in chapter uh, 2, verse 9, for ye remember, brethren. Chapter 3, verse 6, remembering of us always. So chapters 1, 2, and 3, we find Paul remembering, giving thanks how the church was born, chapter 1, how the church was nurtured, chapter 2, how the church was established and stabilized, chapter 3. Now in chapters 4 and 5, we have not the personal, but the practical. In chapter 4, we have the rapture of the church and sorrow. He says, brethren, I would not have you to sorrow as those who have no hope. And so chapter 4 deals with the rapture and sorrow. Chapter 5, the rapture and sanctification. Verse 23 and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification, of course, meaning a holy life. So chapters 1, 2, and 3, personal. We give thanks remembering how the church was born, how the church was nurtured, how the church was stabilized. Chapters 4 and 5, practical. We beseech you, several times he says this, that they might walk according to the will of the Lord. This then is uh, 1 Thessalonians. We trust that the good word today has been a help and a blessing to your heart.